So tonight we will continue with our discussion of Tatmasandarva. And we can begin by chanting the first verse of the Tatmasandarva. Responsibly, Krishna Varnam Tusa Krishnam, Krishna Varnam Tusa Krishnam, Sangopangastra Parsadam, Sangopangastra Parsadam, Yajnai Sankirtana Prayar, Yajnai Sankirtana Prayar, Yajantihi Sumedasa, Yajantihi Sumedasa. In the age of Kali, intelligent persons perform congregational chanting to worship the incarnation of Godhead who constantly sings the names of Krishna. Although his complexion is not blackish, he is Krishna himself. He is accompanied by his associates, servants, weapons, and confidential companions. So with this verse, Srila Jiva Goswami opens his Mangala Charna of the Satsandarbhas in the beginning on a Chuda of the Tattva Sandarbha, basically is establishing the uh, the main subject and deity of his presentation, Lord Sri Krishna, who is non different from Sri Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So, being the appearance of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Goswami, it would be good to give some special acknowledgement to spiritual grandfather of the majority of us here. Under the direction of uh, Srila Bhakti Vinod Thakur, Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati did his outreach program. But it's interesting to note in his life he didn't begin with the outreach, he began with the inreach. He basically took on the course of action similar to that of uh, Srila Haridas Thakur, continual chanting of the holy names with a vow to complete uh, a billion? A billion. Huh? At least a million. It was a million. A billion. A billion. It was a billion? Yeah. yeah. So uh, this uh, concentrated chanting took him almost a decade. He just chanted and took a little prasadam. So he went inward pretty deeply before he even started his outward campaign. And when he came out, he came out like a lion. He, he went to forward in presenting Krishna consciousness and establishing a movement for the systematic propagation of Krishna consciousness in India in a very dynamic way. And one of the uh, major considerations in his... Uh, presentation was that he wanted to return respectability to the Gaudiya Vaishnava tradition. There was a lot of mistrust and a lot of misunderstanding because there was some some misuse 
of uh, the benediction of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and the uh, in the community, in the society at large. Misuse in so much that those that wanted to reach up to the highest level wanted to do so neglecting the progressive progressive practice of chanting that's required to completely purify the heart of all anarthas. So they wanted the fruits of pure devotion, but they hadn't truly and fully cultivated the seed and uh, uh, let the, the creeper of their devotion grow gradually. So this class of devotees, and they were devotees, took things cheaply. In taking things cheaply, some there was some business going on. Some some sadhus were presenting themselves as as uh, as great Vaishnavs and uh, free distributing confidential knowledge and freely distributing not only holy name but the mantra and not only the mantra but what we refer to as knowledge of the Siddha Deha, one spiritual position. So this was all done cheaply. There was some devotees that not understanding the this the difference between the activities to be performed in the Sadika Deha and the activities that are experienced in the Siddha Deha, uh, not understanding and have a good footing in some Bandagyan, which is required uh, for any uh, any spiritual practice, uh, they immediately wanted to take on the activities of the of the goal, the priogen, so that they uh, unfortunately would engage in uh, in illicit activity in the name of Gaudiya Vaishnavism. So much so that the society at the time of Bhaktivinoda Thakur was 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 very apprehensive about the Vaishnavas. Like, here comes a Vaishnava, just give him some money, get him off the doorstep, give him some food stuff. <laughs> Those people aren't to be trusted. So that's, that was an unfortunate circumstance at the time that had to be rectified. And, and Bhakti Siddhanta, when he finally took to his preaching mission, he took great strides to, to correct, correct this situation. Interesting strides. Uh, two, he uh, no longer uh, and immediately this Babaji thing was set aside. That isn't to say that there isn't Babaji as a as a it's a natural progression, and there are those that can enter that very high state of complete absorption in Bajan. But uh, for the most part, let's he set that aside. He started with a simple uh, Brahmachari approach in his ashrams. Uh, wearing uh, traditional uh, traditional attire, uh, he instituted the Brahminical thread and Brahminical initiation. Generally, in the Vaishnav tradition, initiation into mantra meant that you gave up the thread because you were you were in a, entering into uh, directly into spirituality. Well, he put the thread back on. He said, "You start here, and uh, and you." 
become qualified, and if you're qualified, then after you've qualified in Nama, if you if you show some real prospect and desire to pursue your spiritual life, then we'll give you mantra. He set up a very uh, rigid campaign for his sannyasis. He was a very, very austere personality, and uh, he instilled that austerity uh, in his disciples uh, through his ashrams. And his ashrams were many. He, he established ashrams throughout India. Uh, so his preaching was uh, very far-reaching in a few different ways. And uh, there was so much we could say about him and... I did not prepare to speak on him. I just thought it would be good to mention a few of the things uh, that uh, he did. And the, the most pronounced one would be that he he reestablished the dignity of the Gaudiya Vaishnavism, uh, the sect of Gaudiya Vaishnavism in India. And of course he inspired uh, one student who became so serious that he was uh, empowered by Lord Nityananda to spread that movement of Gaudiya Vaishnavism throughout the world. That we take as our saving grace. So with that, we offer our respects to His Divine Grace, Srila Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Goswami Maharaj Ki Jai. So continuing our discussion of Tattva Sandarbha, we have finished the Mangala Charna, and last class we began with Anucheda 9, wherein Srila Jiva Goswami begins his discussion of epistemology, which is how do we arrive at knowledge? What is a viable method of acquiring knowledge? And he begins that discussion with first a restatement of the four main subjects of his presentation uh, from the end of his Mangala Charna, which are Sri Krishna, the means by which we understand him, Sambandha, uh, the means by which we can serve that understanding, Abhideya, and the goal to be acquired by that uh, means of understanding, prayoja. So, in order to advance in that understanding, we have to have a valid means of knowledge. So, well, how can we acquire knowledge? How can the living entity acquire knowledge? Especially having come to the human form of life. How do we acquire knowledge about our being? ontology. That knowledge can be acquired from a different from a variety of different in a variety of different ways. But Jiva Goswami, he wants to know what what is the topmost? He wants to establish for his readers, for his audience, for his qualified audience, remember in his bungalow, Acharna, he he gave some qualifications here of who his audience was. Those people that are willing to, what? Turn their vision inward. 
and inquire into the nature of their being. So for those people, I've written this Tattva Sandarva, this Sat Sandarvas, all six of them. So he begins by, well, let's look at epistemology. Let's look at a means of acquiring knowledge. And let's talk about our human condition in relationship to epistemology. And in, in looking in that direction, what does he point out about our human condition? He points out that our human condition is flawed when it comes to acquiring knowledge. And he, it's flawed in four very pronounced ways. The first of which is the limitation of our tools the limitation of the tools we have for direct experience. They're limited. They're nice. Couldn't get around very far without them, but they have a limited capacity. So we can only hear in a certain range, at a certain volume, within a certain range of volume, within a certain range of sound vibration, the ear will function. We can't hear all sounds. That's probably a good thing. <laughs> to be a jumble of sounds, it's a good thing we can only hear in a confined area of, of space, in a confined area of, of uh, frequency. But we know there's other frequencies out there from our scientists tell us so. Well, that gives them a lot of credit. <laughs> but they tell us there's more sounds and we can observe well, the, there's other species of life who hear things, I think, that I don't hear them. The dog is, is at the door before I even knew anybody was in the driveway. You know, uh, the, the sound vibrations are limited in the human form. They're limited in the other species also. But some of them can hear higher, some of them can hear lower, some of them, some of them can hear for a greater distance some of them in a shorter distance. But our senses of, of hearing, that's limited. Our seeing is also limited to a certain spectrum of light and only good in, in a certain uh, intensity. If it's too dark, I can't see. And if it's too bright, I can't see. It's limited, but it's good. What we got is, is generally pretty good. Some of us got better than others. But we got... Something. So in our smelling also. Some people got good. Some people didn't. I'm one of those. They have very limited range of smelling. Tasting? Well, now there <laughs> is another thing. So we have uh, taste. We have some taste and we also have some, some touch. Krishna speaks of these. And he adds one in his Bhagavad Gita. Mamaivam so jiva loke, jiva bhuta sanatana, manasastranindriyani, prakriti stani karsati, manasastranindriyani, which include the mind. So Krishna, when he talks about our perceiving senses, he adds the mind to the five sense organs. So that sixth sense organ is there. 
the living entities in this conditional life are my eternal fragment parts. Due to conditional life, they are struggling very hard with the six senses, which include the mind. So we have the defect of our senses being limited, not perfect tools for acquiring uh, knowledge. We as human beings become illusioned, starting out with the illusion that this temporary situation is permanent, starting out with the illusion that this particular arrangement that I've come into by somehow or other, I can't trace it out, but here I am, born in a body, come into a, a culture and a society, and, a, and uh, I don't know why, I don't know where, I don't know what created this circumstance, but immediately upon being placed in the circumstance, I accept it as my own, and I accept the, the circumstance uh, that I'm in as I relate it to myself, to my being, to what I am. So that's our first illusion, and that one's a pretty big one. We generally carry that from our cradle to our grave and, uh, and never go beyond, beyond that. The majority of people, as Krishna explains in the Bhagavad Gita, have no interest beyond that body. Few of them are interested in self-realization. Very, very few. And of those that even know self-realization, hardly one really, really knows what the goal is. From the cradle of the grave, we carry that illusion with us. And then we have temporary illusions. Jiva Goswami looks at this Brahma illusion as, as, as to the illusion of bodily identification, body-mind experiences identifying with that, and uh, the illusions of circumstantial illusions, hallucinations. And, uh, the next is we make mistakes. Generally, mistakes are made due to inattention. We don't fully perceive the situation, and therefore we, we proceed without full knowledge, and there's a possibility of a mistake uh, we sometimes let our our perspective of things cloud our judgment, and we make mistakes because of that uh, clouding of judgment. And the fourth mis fourth defect that we have in the human condition is vipralipsha. It's called a misrepresentational bias. We come built with built-in likes and dislikes based on previous impressions upon our existence. Something we've expressed, experienced in the past has created an impression on us and that creates a bias one way or another. I myself like sweets. I like sweets out of the out of the womb. I like sweets now. So it's a bias. I don't know where I got it, but I like sweets. 
and I like a certain kind of this, and I like a certain level of comfort. I like this this in in my mate, a man or a woman. I like this in my, you know, in my occupation, uh, be it high or low. I like this. I like that. I have so many biases. In order to support my likes and dislikes, what do I do? Well, I have a bias towards them. And I want you to accept my bias. Then my life will be better. So when you cook, I want you to cook this way. And when you, you know, wash my clothes, I want them folded this way. And when, So I'm going to try to impress you with my biases. When you vote, you need to vote for the person I think should be president or not be president or, 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 or it goes on and on and in order to get my bias across I will cheat you so we have a tendency to cheat for our well-being based on our prior impressions so these are defects these things stand in the way of perfect perception on our part. So how good can the resultant knowledge that we get through our perception with these limited senses, with these impressions on our mind, how, how good can it be? How reliable can it be? Even the scientific community who, as we pointed out last, put themselves forth as what? This is, we are the most unbiased. We just want to give you a scientific conclusion. But I'm not going to give you a scientific conclusion that's going to affect the funding of my scientific research. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to, you know, bite the hand that feeds me and if the hand that feeds me says that, you know, treating a plant plants with a particular pesticide is the best thing in the world for the food that people eat, well, you know, even if my research does come up with the fact that the rats didn't do so well afterwards, I may just push that aside. So, even the scientific community, despite their their uh, high mora- moral regarding unbiased scientific presentation. They call it scientific. Despite that, they also cheat, unfortunately. Maybe now more than before. But this is the progression of a certain age of mankind, and uh, this class is not about that. So we will not talk about the ages of man and how how bad we have it. We already pretty much know that. All right, so if the senses aren't valid, are there other means of knowledge? So Jiva Goswami proceeds to go through the valid methods of acquiring knowledge according to his culture at the to- of the time. And these are are valid forms of knowledge in all cultures. But 
the framework, of course, is, is, is based upon Indian philosophy and theology at the time of his writing. So, he begins, of course, with pratyaksha, sense perception, which we just discussed, the fallacies of that one. Uh, he goes on with uh, anumana, inference. I see a fire, I know a fire generally has smoke, I look at a mountain, I see smoke, I think the mountain's on fire, even though I may not see the fire. Maybe it's on the backside. I infer things, and I do this all the time. Why? Well, there has to be at first. Look at look at perception. Perception is what it's a it's a it's instantaneous. Immediately when I perceive something, it's just it's an impression. So the intelligence, the booty, immediately takes that impression and carries it to the chitta. Who looks at looks at all impressions that I've had, and and immediately, it's cataloged. Okay, that means this. The girl winked at me, so I experienced that. My senses saw the wink, saw the girl, and oh, and immediately, what's that mean? So we take that to the the mind, and the mind says, oh, well, based on prior knowledge, that's a good thing. So, or not, whatever. <laughs> but you see the point. So, perception is instantaneous. It's in the moment. And then inference comes. And inference, of course, even with our own uh, psycho psychology, uh, goes through a process. The, the intelligence uh, takes that to, you know, the mind takes that. So, inference and... Subda. So he goes on and he mentions ten. And then after he's completed his discussion of those ten items, he looks at them and he said, well really, they all fall into three main categories. Pratyaksa, immediate perception, inference, based on prior perceptions and subda. So all the rest of them, statements of the sages, comparison, uh, presumption, absence of an object, meaning that you still notice that, the, uh, that there would have been an object, but it's not there. Inclusion, if you have $100, you got five, you got 10, you got 20, you got two cents. Tradition, and gestures give peace a chance. I just need to put my hands up and you know what it means. And when the deities are being served, they know what you're saying with your hands. You have certain gestures that tell them, this is for your eating, this is, I don't know what they are. What are they? So, the deity served also with mudras in this way. And we also, we can see in the, uh, the dance styles of India, so many expressions are there with the, with the hands. If I put my hands up like this and I'm dancing Bhartanakyam, I'd probably think, well, Krishna's playing his flute. So of the, these ten, ten items, 
Jiva Goswami says, well, we can go just take them down to three. All the rest fit in those three, those, one of those three categories. He goes through that a little bit in his, uh, his commentary, Sarva Samvadini. He says, although there are ten names, means, I'm sorry, ten means of acquiring knowledge, Sabda is the primary process because all other means are made unreliable by the four human defects. In all processes, it is difficult for an ordinary person to tell whether or not the knowledge gained is valid. Then he goes on and he looks at Pratyaksa a little deeper. Perception. He says, well, okay, we have perception, but there's also, it, it comes in two varieties. I have external perception, hearing, seeing, smelling, tasting, touching, all filtered by the mind, but there's also an internal perception, pratyaksha. That's where we left up off last class. Is we, were ta- we just began to explore this distinction between the internal and the external. And to go into an understanding that Pratyaksha that is internal actually can be a means and it is the means of spiritual revelation. But it means that you have to turn everything internal. We call that perception of the sages samadhi. So generally when we say speak Prakshaksha there's two Sanskrit terms, vadusa. Vadusa is internal, and avadusa is sensory, external. And then he goes on to explain how deep vadusa or divine perception is. Well, first of all, he speaks of who's qualified for vadusa, for direct perception independent of sensory input. Well, we can stop. start with number one. The Supreme Lord has direct perception without sensory, sensory input. He's fully aware of everything. He's fully conscious of everything. Then we have his associates. And they are also fully knowledgeable of everything at all times. Except when they're playing. And they're playing most of the time. There's another Maya. It's called Yoga Maya. We won't go there in this class, but we've had heard of of her involvement in covering that direct perception of those eternal associates in order to create Leela. And then we have the perfected beings. People that were not perfect that became perfect. They also have available to them this vidus, vidusa, pratyaksha, inward pointing. And what comes out is in looking inward perfectly. What's seen outward in the sensory world 
is also seen in the light of that perfect revelation. This we call the Uttama Bhakta. He sees Krishna everywhere. He perceives Krishna in everything. So much so that there's factually no external sensory dualistic world for him the way we experience the dualistic world. As an example, Bhaktivinoda Thakur, how did he, he, he came into a state of, of revela revelation and he said, I saw my whole home had become Vaikuntha. So he no longer perceived his home as being sticks or wood or, you know, it wasn't his wife. The whole atmosphere became Vaikuntha. So there's this level of seeing by the Uttama. Due to this level of perfected seeing, even while in the material world, that perfected being is devoid of the capacity to what? Criticize. Well, the defects are gone. The four defects are, are, don't affect him at all. But he's so much wrapped up that he can't really interface with the world. He can't preach. The Uttama Bhakti cannot preach because his his level of of spiritual he's overwhelmed so much with spirituality, he his level of humility doesn't even allow it, which is one of the primary characteristics of that transcendental realm. So if he wants if he's if he's called upon to preach, he has to give up that that vision that comes as the Uttama. He has to purposely bring himself down to the platform of a Majjhim just to preach. So there's that perfection and then there is the perfection of the Majjhim. Someone at the intermediate stage. They know perfectly that everything's Krishna. They wish they could see Krishna everywhere. Everything they do, their whole existence, is dedicated to Krishna. So they are also perfect, but their perfection is not fully actualized yet in their being. It's there, but it's not fully, fully taken over. Um, but they're also perfect. And they function without their without these perfected people coming into the midst of humanity at large. What is, what would be our spiritual prospect? How would it, how would we have one? So they come and they associate with us and they show us how to engage in that perfect life, in that perfected being. So you start, you, be, you think like this, you act like this, you let your, you engage all your senses like this in spiritual actions, and as you engage your senses like that, then they themselves become spiritualized. This we call the guru. 
He is the external manifestation of divinity in our life. And he shows by his example and he teaches by his his transparent by media exactly how to take up an abhideya practice to purify ourselves. So there is pratyaksa on the transcendental plane. There is perfect sense perception and it's manifested in, uh, in of course, the Lord, his associates and perfected living entities. For us, we have a perfection that's based on Bhagavan, iti sabjate. We want to perceive the perfect as Bhagavan Shri Krishna. Well, actually, we don't even care about the Bhaga, but that's also for another class. But, yes, our objective as Vaishnavas is not Brahman and not the Paramatma, but so our perfection is Bhagavan. Krishna speaks about it in Bhagavad Gita, about these perfected, this perfected sensory perception. In, the, in a verse from the ninth chapter, Rajavidya Rajaguya Pavitram Idam Uttamam Pratyaksa Vagamam Dharmyam Sasukam Kartum Avyayam. This knowledge is the king, king of knowledge, Rajavij, Rajaguyam, most secret. It's the purest knowledge. And because it gives direct perception of the self, pratyaksha, pratyaksa, vagamam, dharmyam, it's a perfection of religion. It gives perception, sensory perception, internal sensory perception, and that is the supreme dharma. Susukam kartamavya. Also in the uh, in the sixth chapter, sukam achyantikam yat tad budi grayam atindriyam veti yatha dachaiva yam stitas chalati tatvata. In that joyous state, one is situated in boundless transcendental happiness, realized through transcendental senses. Budi grayam atindriyam. The indriyas, the senses, are completely spiritualized. Established thus, he never departs from the truth, and upon gaining this, he thinks there is no greater gain. So Krishna in his Gita is telling us of this internal, this turning in. What kind of turning from the beginning? From the Mangala Charna? A complete turning. A whole being experience with our body, with our mind, with our senses, with our complete intent. That's the kind of turning of consciousness that's required to have these realizations. Interesting. We were talking about, and I just remembered this phrase that was used by the commentator here, Sachin Narayan Das, in his commentary. So we were talking about pratyaksa, that moment 
that we experience something. The wink of the eye or the, the smell of the flower. And then we, we take that. The, the, the intelligence carries it to the chitta. And it, it's compared against the storehouse of impressions. And what happens? It's recognized. But in his commentary, he separates the word. Recognized. We again have con cognition of something that was impressed upon our chitta. So when we say recognized, we need to put it in, remember that. Then we see what's, oh, okay. I recognize the impression comes in an instant and it's recognized. It goes against my everything that I've that I have is an impression. It's recognized. I again have cognition of something that I already had condition of. Otherwise, I compare it, and it's a comparison. So I intuit something. Let's talk more about Subda. Of those ten ways of acquiring knowledge, Jiva's taken it down to three, said all of them can be what? Direct perception, pratyaksha, anumana, inference, and sabda. So what does jiva mean when he says sabda? Sabda is, is translated as sound. Well, we've already covered sound and pratyaksha. So what's sabda then? It's just sound? But no. Sound in the context of pramana means that it has to be significant sound provided by a trustworthy person. Then it can give us some what? Again, what are we talking about here? Acquiring knowledge. But as we stated in our last presentation, not really acquiring knowledge in the, in the sense of we have of acquiring knowledge, something that we can use, but of experiencing reality. That's really what we're talking about with Sabda Brahman. Not just knowledge in the intellectual sphere of dualism where we, you know, we want to have more of an understanding or more of, of, of something that contributes to our experience uh, in material nature, in dualism. No. What we're speaking about is self-revelation. So when we speak about sabda in relationship with praman, a valid method of acquiring realization of reality, experiencing a reality, then where does that sound have to originate from in order to fall into a valid category in Jiva Goswami's vernacular? Reality. A reality. It has to be real. And what's the only real source of sound? has to come from the Supreme Source. So when Sabda is mentioned by Srila Jiva Goswami in his Sabdarvas, Sabda Brahman, 
he's talking about transcendental sound vibration, a purusheya, descending, coming, eternal. It doesn't have a beginning or an end. It may appear to come from a sensory, per, sensory perception, but it does not. For Jiva Sabda Praman is restricted to revealed knowledge of the Vedas, Apurusheya. Egoic self reference constraints most consciously to limited viewing lens. Okay, these are notes, not a sentence. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, generally, our perception of sound is through the ego. It's We use the lens of our ego and we apply our cons the constraints of our limited intelligence and our environment and our samskaras, impressions. And when we, when we hear, we apply that. What is important is to recognize that when we come in contact with Sabda Brahman, we need to leave that method of perception at the door. And we need to hear the sound vibration under what? Under good direction. We need to have somebody tell us this is the way to receive this information so that it has some positive effect. Otherwise, simply hearing from Scripture Subda Brahman statements, Tato Brahma Jignasa, and so many statements without the lens of the, of the sadhu, of the realized soul, there's every opportunity we'll misunderstand what's there. Now, Sabda Brahman has potency in and of itself. It is completely, it's just, well, it's bhakti. It's like, it's, it's has its own, a mind of its own. It is a literary... I mean, I'm sorry, literary when written, but it's the it's the sound incarnation of the Supreme. His voice is non-different from himself. His, the sound vibrations, Hare Krishna, is non-different from Krishna. It has its own potency, but we want to, because of our past impressions, immediately apply our constraints on that. So Jiva says, take great care. Sabda Brahman needs to be heard. How? In disciplic succession. What's that inquire? What's that require on our part? Tadvidi pranipate na pariprasne na sevaya. Sevaya. At the feet of someone who can allow us to hear the sounds perfectly by providing good guidance. Interesting thing about Sabda, it's un unlike Prayaksha, when we talk about the sound of Prayaksha, the sensory. So, Sabda, it exists in all time. It's not that moment. It's always there. It's not constrained by what? By the limitations of the dualistic world of matter. It's not dead. It's living. It's conscious. It's a big distinction. 
doesn't fall into the category of earth, water, fire, air, ether, mind, intelligence, false ego. So we'll, con- we'll, we'll conclude here. A purusheya, that means what? A purusheya, purusheya is regular dialogue, regular sound. A purusheya, transcendental sound vibration. Sabda, Apurusheya Sabda Pramana. Apurusheya Sabda Pramana is the highest, flawless means of acquiring, well, I'd say knowledge, but I want to say reality. Of experiencing reality, of experiencing our reality when received properly. So that's the introduction to transcendental knowledge that we're allowed, is through Sabda, Brahman, transcendental sound vibration. Jiva Goswami is going to proceed from here to let us know that this is available through the avenue of the Veda. And then he's going to tighten that definition for our purposes of understanding that supreme personality, Sri Krishna, to the Srimad Bhagavatam, making it quite clear that Srimad Bhagavatam is the supreme Praman for our tradition. So, are there any questions? Comments? Corrections. Um, you're saying that we have to leave the ego at the doors. Is that done simply with the the desire and the intention to do that? That helps. It's done by surrender, and surrender is has different components, uh, but it begins with surrender to a bona fide authority from which to hear that sound. And it continues through his direction to include only allowing our senses to engage in things that are favorable to pleasing Krishna and giving up the unfavorable and realizing everything is coming, uh, his protection. At the beginning we start with the guru and hearing the sound through that chain of disciplic succession. So our hearing has to be focused like that to be... uh, successful. Then we go on to accept favorable and give up what's not favorable, accept Krishna as our protector and our maintainer and work in full humility and fully surrender everything cent for cent. Anything else? Thank you so much for your association. Thank you. Thank you.